Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. I'm excited. This is a topic, Andrew. I am I am just, you maybe don't believe me. I'm excited. Forecasting hiring. When to hire? How do you hire? You know, and we will get into that before we do. This episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. Also, I want to tell people to check out past guests, other uh, interviews. Uh, we had David Allen of Getting Things Done, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth. But um, this episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. If you've had a team member ask you the same question over and over again, and maybe the 10th time you spent explaining it, Andrew, I don't know if you can you can uh, relate to this. There's a better way. There's a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with the existing staff. And I was talking to the owner Oh, and not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations. So you can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time and your team's time so you can focus on growing. And you can sign up for a free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. Go to sweetprocess.com. It's sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. I'm excited to have Andrew Cedarland, uh, he's Chief Operating Officer of Conversion Logics. Um, Andrew, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, just talk a little about you and what the company does to start. Yeah, so at Conversion Logics, we're a digital advertising agency and also a software company. So, we, uh, you know, our whole goal is to drive the best qualified traffic to our clients' websites, and then our uh, software tools help convert that traffic. So, we have an appointment scheduler and a few other. Uh, different, um, you know, tools that, uh, help increase leads for, uh, all of our customers and clients. That's awesome. I love it. Everyone wants leads. You know what Everyone I mean? Everyone wants leads. Yes. So it's hard to get them. Who's ideal, who's ideal clients for you or customers? Yeah. So our, our biggest market and, uh, we found great success with is the uh, multifamily housing. So, you know, apartment communities have a huge need for, uh, leasing up these gorgeous buildings that you see all over the country. Uh, and so, you know, finding people that are searching for uh, apartments, uh, you know, doing our best to get in front of them and, and drive them to our clients' websites. And then, you know, either putting offers or allowing them, especially now with COVID, flexible touring is is everything. And so being able to, you know, uh, fill out a form or uh, fill out one of our tools and either take a virtual tour or an in-person tour or some, there's all sorts of mix of different tour types that they're offering now. And so, um, yeah, that's really our, our core market. Uh, we also work with a variety of local businesses as well. Um, really anybody that needs to take, you know, anonymous online shopper and turn them into a, a real customer that uh, used to have to go in person, obviously less in person now with COVID, but still requires an offline transaction. That's, that's kind of our core business. Love it. Especially now it's important. Everyone's looking yes. to their, I don't know, have you seen a trend when people are, are moving now? And right now, obviously, could be any time. But if you're listening, there is a pandemic going on. But uh, have you seen um, any trends with that? With when when and how people are moving? Yeah, like right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw a kind of a very different, longer. Normally, everyone moves in the summertime. Uh, really, you know, high percentage of people. It's kind of the peak season for that. Uh, and 
it was interesting because a lot of people in the spring obviously pushed off their move until things became a little bit more known uh, in the summertime and felt a little bit more comfortable with what we were dealing with uh, as it relates to the virus. And then uh, we've actually saw that extend into the fall because people were, you know, they kind of procrastinated, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. And so we had kind of a longer leasing season than normal. And then now what we're seeing is people are trying to get ahead of the curve for next year. So their lease might not be up until March or April, but they're all, they're already taking tours and trying to contact uh, places that they want to live. And there's been a very interesting, um, you know, mix of people moving from uh, core urban markets, especially the high rent places, uh, you know, San Francisco, Seattle, where I'm uh, based New York, huge rent decreases and people moving to places like Scottsdale and uh, even suburbs, uh, you know, warmer climates, I think Texas, Florida are getting a lot of that. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, we have clients that, you know, they can't keep up with the demand in Charlotte uh, and uh, Raleigh. And then we have other clients that are offering three months free rent in Seattle, trying to get people to move in um, just because they're, it's two very different markets right now. So no. kind of K-shaped as they like to say, uh, in all the headlines. That's pretty cool. Um, we'll talk about forecasting and hiring, but I just want to tell people, Andrew, they should definitely check out conversionlogics.com. Um, I don't care what business you're in um, because the messaging is so on point that, you know, if you go, it's like, fill your communities faster. We handle the marketing so you can focus on the lease. It's like, boom, right? So I love it. And that's probably why one of the reasons you probably are so clear on who you're serving, your messaging as a company that it, it makes it easier to serve. But I know you have a lot of processes in place. One of them is in hiring. And so I'd love for you to talk about kind of, you had a flat structure and what happened? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've, we've been lucky and fortunate to grow over the last, uh, we've been around for 10 years and we've uh, grown pretty steadily throughout that time. And uh, we kind of figured out our core departments, you know, with a very similar structure to what they were, uh, you know, what they are now in a large part about five or six years ago. And then since then, it's really just been adding on a person. And so, Hey, we, man, everyone's really, really busy. Okay. Let's, let's stick another person in there. And so one of our departments in particular, uh, client services department, we had a director over the top, then we had a team lead and then everyone else is about eight people. They're just a flat structure where, you know, you're taking in requests from clients and from salespeople uh, and it was, it's great because you can, you don't, you can avoid bottlenecks where you can move capacity over uh, because everyone has a good idea of what everyone else is doing. And you can shift as demand increases or decreases, you know, some weeks are busier than others, some days, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, one of our uh, directors actually came to me and he was like, I really want to uh, change our structure and I want to change it from being a you know, we call it our queue. It's all our work orders that come in for clients and, and changes and add updates. Uh, he wanted to split it into three and kind of um, put some national bigger accounts uh, with a group and some of our emerging accounts or a different vertical with another group. And I so was hesitant. three team leads. So like director yeah. and then, then instead of having one team lead with all these people, there'd be three team leads. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it was one and two. Uh, yeah make three team leads and then have there be three smaller teams of maybe three or four people uh, all working on a specific subset of accounts. And, and I was resistant because I liked the idea of having, you know, no bottlenecks. I didn't want one team to be really busy. The other team to be like, Oh, well, our, you know, our clients are low maintenance this week. And so, uh, but we went ahead with it anyway, and the results have been fantastic. Um, and I think there's been a couple of things that have really stuck out to me is that, 
you know, when we had our larger team, it was great. But at the same time, when, when everyone is responsible for this queue of work that might have 60 items in it outstanding, uh, no one is responsible. You know, if everyone's responsible, no one's responsible. I don't know who that quote is originally from, but it's, I, it's a fantastic quote and I love it. But uh, when you shrink the size of your team down, you get a lot more accountability with, hey, we're working on this specific um, you know, group of tasks. And so, you know, your one, your list grows smaller, so it's less daunting. And then you have a smaller group, sort of like more of a task force type group to deal with it. And so I think those two combinations really helped us increase our output because they were working on, you know, completing a project versus attacking this, you know, quote unquote queue that just kept filling up whenever you, you know, would, would uh, bring it back down, it would replenish with new requests. And so um, that had really helped us uh, increase efficiency and, and get more output. Andrew, what uh, type of positions are under the team lead? Just to give people an idea. So like it went from, you know, now you have three team leads and there's like four people under the team leads. Yeah. So those are all, we call them client services coordinators. And so it's really, you're a project manager. And so you might be uh, juggling 15 or 20 different projects that, you know, some are pretty simple and other ones are relatively complex where it's a strategy change and a branding change and other ones that might be, Hey, we're, we just want to update our offer. And those are pretty quick and easy to take care of. And so um, within the team, it's, it's still, I guess, flat at the very bottom. We have some coordinator positions, but having, um, you know, a person closer uh, to that team with a, you know, a lead really overseeing what they're doing helped uh, increase accountability and, and output. So was there, how do you communicate that with the team um, or, or do you now, now that, okay, you're, did someone move up to a team lead who was kind of in that flat structure? And then yep. were then people, uh, I mean, people don't like change in general, right? So then even right. if you change something that's not a big change, people can be up in arms. So how do you communicate that with the team? Like, okay, you're going to team lead and now you're going to be under the, this person. There's only going to be four. I could see this. There's a lot of conversation that has to go on. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, we we're very fortunate where there was two individuals that uh, had really proven themselves and kind of really set themselves apart. And so for us, that made the decision really easy. You know, it can be hard when you have two people and you only have one spot, but for us, it was, there was very clearly two individuals that were, you know, hungry for the opportunity. We're looking to grow more and, and, you know, at conversion logics, we're always about trying to give people more opportunity and, and let them grow and, and develop their skills. And so, uh, you know, when this, idea came available or, you know, these positions became available. It was a, it was actually a pretty uh, easy call to move these two people up. And then the benefit of that is that, um, you know, the people underneath them recognized that they were the best people for the job. Uh, and so uh, for us, actually, it was, you know, obviously lots of communication on, Hey, here's what this means. You know, here's the type of questions that you should go to this person with. Here's the things that still require the director to, you know, approve and things like that. Um, but uh, by, by and large, it was a pretty seamless transition. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you see as good quality? So we're talking about hiring for a second. What are the good qualities and um, actions you see in a good team lead? Yeah. So uh, for us, it's, it go, relates back to our core values as a company. So our core values are hustle, focus, toughness, kindness, and service. Uh, and I think that if you're a team lead, uh, probably the two biggest ones and the two most important ones are hustle and then service, uh, you know, because you're serving your team. You know, I, I believe in servant leadership. You should be below and helping lift your team up. If, if your team failed, you know, you need to look at yourself as a leader first of, okay, did I not communicate this appropriately? Did I not have the right expectations for them? Uh, and so being able to really serve your team and then obviously this is a service position, serve our clients uh, and then really just hustle uh, because, you know, you as a leader are going to have to do more than 
the people underneath you. And so being able to hustle and, and um, you know, work harder and work faster to get things done to, uh, you know, make your team successful. So those are probably the, the two I would pick out um, that I look for in leaders. How would you, you know, so now we're talking about forecasting your hiring based on output. How do you know when to hire the next or promote within the next team lead? Yeah. So uh, for us, uh, we look at our total number of items that come in. Uh, and so for a typical month, you know, if we get 2000 items per month that come in from our customers, uh, you know, and then we have, we know the turnaround time that we want to get. And so then we can say, Hey, are we actually meeting our, you know, stated SLAs for our turnaround time? And if we're not, okay, what do we need to do to fix that? And is the, you know, the answer for us isn't always hire another person. And so when we look at, um, you know, what the next step looks like. The first thing that any of my leads that come to me or any of my directors that come uh, ask me about, hey, I think we, we were pretty busy last week. I think we might need another person. And my first question is always, well, where was your bottleneck? You know, what part of the process did you actually struggle with? Because normally, you know, sometimes it's just, oh, everything was busier in equal proportion. But a lot of times you can point to, well, you know, hey, we're building out new launches and that really took a lot of time. Okay, let's dig into that. And so, um, something that we're really exploring now is um, as we continue to grow and get larger is rather than, you know, slotting somebody in at the bottom because you reach the threshold of, you know, say each person should work on 200 items per week. Well, uh, you know, hey, wherever the average is up to, you know, 210 or the average is, you know, getting a little bit high. So we should, you know, hire somebody in to, to drop that across the board and get more capacity. Um, it's also looking at the process to say, well, Hey, do we need to hire somebody that's or move somebody into a into a position that is specifically for this this troublesome procedure like mm. campaign launches? And so um, that's kind of the what we really uh, is look at, I guess. First is treating the the symptom and, and treating the you know the actual problem versus just throwing a body and saying, well, if you have more people, you'll be able to get more done. So um, you know, go from there. I like that question. I'm curious of any other questions you ask the team. As far as, you know, you asked, where was your bottleneck? And, and you could be, well, there could be launches for the next two weeks. And after two weeks, They're there gone. aren't as many launches. And then right. it's back to normal. So maybe, like you said, okay, we need to slot someone in for the launches. Or maybe that is an ongoing problem, in which case you'd be like, okay, well, yeah, maybe we do need to look for someone else or depending on what they say. Is there another question you ask the team to discover or yourself to discover, okay, one, you ask, where is the bottleneck? What else do you ask to see? How do we need to forecast hiring based on output? Yeah. I actually asked them to, to define what busy means. Uh, so what does busy mean to you? Busy means different things to different people. Uh, and so somebody might feel like, well, I just feel like I got so much done and I you know, couldn't catch my breath. And then another person felt like, Oh, they actually, that's how they like to work. And so different things are, you know, it's very different. You know, some people like to feel like they have that 70% capacity and they like to have that extra bandwidth. Buffer. And so, yeah, the buffer. And so working with people to understand what do they really mean by too busy? And then um, I honestly, the next thing that I always ask is, are there any processes that we can um, change or, or improve? You know, I would, I would rather, throw, um, throw, you know, development resources and, uh, try to get a software tool built, then hire a person because every single person that you hire, you get this, um, you know, operational debt because, you know, every person you add isn't actually the output of a person. It's, you know, 0.8 or whatever the percentage is, because you have, you know, all the noise about, you know, whatever's happening in the company. And then you have a little bit of leadership and meetings and all these different things. And so 
well, we're short by X amount of projects, just adding a person doesn't get you that number. And so the more we can do it with improving our procedures and, and getting rid of red tape in our organization, well, I always have to ask this person for an approval. Okay, do we really, that was something we decided five years ago was a good idea. Is that still a good idea today? Um, and so uh, that's really kind of where I try to attack it from. And then the last, I don't want to say last resort because it's, you know, obviously you can you always need to hire people and you never want people to be at running at the ragged edge and sprinting and unable to slow down because that's not healthy either or sustainable. Uh, but uh, hiring is sort of the, once you've exhausted these other things, like adjusting process, you know, what specifically is the problem that you're trying to solve? Is it working on emails? Is it working on launches? Um, and then you understand why you're putting this person in place if you do choose to hire a new person. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really smart because any process, I'm curious of what was one of those examples, Andrew, where, cause you assess the bottleneck and maybe it's temporary, but then you go to, okay, how do we improve the process and change it? Maybe it's a software thing. Maybe we could eliminate it certain things and they don't even need to be done, which, which saves the person time. Maybe that was something that people were doing three years ago and it doesn't make sense now, like you said, what is something that you remember you changed in the process Maybe it was a software, maybe it was just elimination um, that actually eliminated a bottleneck or it made it better. You remember any cases? Yeah, I can think of a few that are relatively recent. Uh, one that was just within the last few months uh, was our reporting that we do for emails. We used to have a different, you know, we send email marketing for our clients. And so af after every blast we send, we would send them a report with opens and clicks. And it was a pretty manual process. And uh, we had switched to a new email platform about a year ago, uh, and their default reporting was actually pretty good. And so we still need to add, we needed to add a little bit to it, but it was going to cut down the work required on that. And so that's huge, but yeah, exactly. But you know, all the SOPs and everything were written for, oh, this is how you do an email, you know, 24 hour launch report for what happened with your email blast. And so uh, by changing saying, well, now you're going to download this report and then just add these other three metrics that we like to include that they don't include, you know, you get to save time and also produce a report that is a little bit more compelling for the customer. So it's a win-win. Um, another one that uh, came up on our uh, ad operations side of things is, you know, we do a lot of Google search campaigns and uh, for anyone that's worked with Google, uh, their budgets that they, uh, you might say, I want to spend $10 a day or hundred dollars a day. Google will spend uh, up to 100% more uh, every single day uh, as part of, um, their algorithm, if they feel like they're getting good results, you know, whatever they define that. Good results so, is taking people's money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, look just at, their stock, look at their stock price. Google <laughs> stock price always goes up. So, uh, you know, cost we're going to spend a hundred percent, Andrew, of what you said you wanted to spend. Yeah, that's exactly. a good, that's a good one. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, uh, and so for customers that, you know, some of our clients have a pretty low budget and it's pretty substantial if, you know, if you go over. And so we had to do a lot of manual uh, budget updates throughout the month to, you know, go check in and say, Hey, is Google, you know, spending the right average daily budget? Is it going high? Is it going low? And so we actually built a script uh, and, and have that be an automated process. And so if it falls outside of a certain threshold, it basically gets put on a, on a red flag list uh, where, Hey, this mm. needs attention. Um, and then sometimes if it's within uh, a certain variance, uh, the system, the computer will actually update the budget automatically without, you know, somebody having to go in and touch it. And then for ones that are a little bit more unique, uh, they get flagged differently. And that actually does require a person because um, they might, you know, be really extreme one way or the other. We want to make sure somebody has their eyes on it. But 
uh, just little things like that, that, you know, you don't need to go in and, and, you know, try to throttle this up and down, you know, a couple percent a day that doesn't need a, a human to do that. And so, um, finding examples, um, like that, I guess, you know, yeah. in your own processes can help eliminate extra work that distracts, you know, you don't want to pay people to type in numbers. You want to pay people to actually think and strategize about the campaigns and say, well, is this campaign the best it can possibly be? That's what you want your people spending time on. Yeah. No, that's important to note because you don't want someone combing through every last thing. And, but for the ones that are flagged, you know, that person can focus in and spend maybe a quarter of the time or more doing those things. Um, I love that. And, and, you know, Andrew, I, I do have a question and uh, I'll let you think about it for a second, but um, I want to ask um, what software you like. So people love hearing software stuff. Um, whether it's email or project management, whatever you're using internally or externally. But um, before I ask it, there's really, um, I want to talk about how to set up the measurements so you can see how much work is done. Because that's also, you talk about 2000 items. I would say, I'm just going to guess, a lot of people do not know these numbers, right? You are very numbers driven. Um, I don't know if they have the precise amount of, oh, we know this person, you know, we have 2000 items and this person's working on 30 of them. Um, that's just my guess from talking to thousands of entrepreneurs and founders and people like they, they maybe don't have like a really strong hold on those numbers. So how do you set up the measurements so you can see how much work is, is done? Yeah. I mean, it really just comes down to the system that you choose. And so um, any project management software that you have, hopefully you can get some sort of reporting out, out of it that gives you you know, metrics that either can get put onto a Google sheet or whatever, and you can actually analyze them. Um, and so for us, uh, you know, we were on a platform called Podio for a long time. Uh, we sort of, we outgrew it. It's a kind of a basic ERP project management system. Um, and we're transitioning to uh, Odoo, which is an open source ERP that uh, has tons and tons of functionality. And so um, for us, the uh, it really comes down to making sure that, um, you know, your system, that you have a way to export hey, here's how many projects came in. And we actually even go down to the task and the subtask level. And so mm. we can see, hey, this project type, if it's a new launch, it's one project, but that might have 10 different tasks. And each of those tasks, like Google search campaign launch, that's a task, but there's 10 steps to that task. And so uh, we can get really, really granular and see exactly you know, what's getting done when, and especially relative to the due date that it needs to be done by. And so... Um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, we started really small too. And so it started with, well, how many requests are we taking in and when are we getting them done? And, and then it kind of graduated from there. And so I think knowing your numbers is really important because especially when you're small, it's easy. You know what everyone's working on. It's, it's really easy. You can see everyone's busy. You can see the work's getting done. You're making clients happy. You know, hopefully you're making money. The clients are doing well. Um, but as you get bigger, you lose sight of that. It's just not, it's not inherent, uh, you know, right in front of you. Oh yeah. Everything's firing on all cylinders. And so being able to see uh, dashboard reporting uh, around those numbers is, is extremely important. So let's geek out on software for a second and tools. Okay. So you mentioned Pod because people love solving things with tools and software, even though yeah. what's really going to solve it is like actually analyzing it, um, the measurements and making sure, you know, these people or 
you know, people in general, this number of tasks or subtasks, but, um, it, but we're using those tools. So I'd love to talk about some of your favorites, um, or ones out there. Um, you mentioned Podio and that seems like kind of like an all in one. It's, it's like a task management C it's like a task management CRM. I know people yep. use Asana. Why Podio as opposed to like an Asana or monday.com or, um, you know, uh, Trello. I mean, now you're using a different one. Odoo, but right. Yeah. So we, the reason, I mean, we went with Podio way back in the day because it was more than just a project management. We wanted to be able to tie it to our customers and, and understand how many, you know, which customers were giving what requests and how many projects were, were we working on. And, uh, and so uh, that's also why we went with a larger, um, you know, enterprise resource planner, uh, Odoo, which is similar to like a NetSuite or something like that, where uh, you can see the whole the holistic picture of mm-hmm. you know here's how many clients I have here's all the projects that stem from those clients you know and then you can drill as high level or as as detailed as you want to be um, you know I think that with any tool that you use um, you know a, a project manager it's only as good as the data that you put in you know garbage in garbage out um, we went through a big effort a couple of years ago to. Um, make sure that we are, we're tracking things like accuracy. So everything we do, we have a review process where another person goes and actually looks at it and makes sure that, you know, because if you're putting an ad up or if you're making a campaign change, you know, we want to make sure that it's correct. And so we have a double check process, but we didn't have a metric in there. If something was wrong, we never had a thing that said, oh, was there a fix required? Yes or no. So just by adding that, it won, it made our fixes needed go down because now all of a sudden everyone knew, oh, someone's going to come here and mark fix required. Yes. And if I run a filter for all my projects that had a fix required and who they were by, I can see who the error rate, you know, who has the highest error rate on a team. Yeah. And then you can have conversations around that. Uh, and so uh, it's all about how you set the process up, um, what, you know, what metrics that you're reporting on. Um, and uh, yeah, regardless of the tool you use, a couple other tools that we use, we use Trello for some uh, of our project management in the software world. Uh, we use that Atlassian suite for that. So Jira, Confluence, uh, and Trello. Um, we also use Zapier, which is a favorite of just fixing, you know, getting little stuff moved from one place to another. Highly recommend that. Um, but one thing I will say about software and tools is that if you, if you don't know what you're going to actually put into the software or tool that you choose, you're not ready for a software or tool. You know, you need to know exactly, well, here's, you know, start with the Google sheet and just have your team track. Hey, here's how many projects I worked on. And here's the ones that gave me the most trouble. You know, our, our team scores their projects too. And so, you know, if your ticket or your project that you worked on was, you know, if you're a designer and you said, Hey, this was a five point project and it should have been a two point project. They can actually state the reason was the client was, you know, being, uh, you know, they were micromanaging it or whatever, or the salesperson didn't give me enough information. And so then my design, the client didn't like it. And so then we can go back through and say, what are our salespeople or what are the clients that are causing the most amount of redesigns or what designers are causing the most amount of redesigns because they aren't following, you know, the direction of the branding of the client in the first place. And so, um, but before you even get to that, you have to know what you want to track. And so I would say, get that down first, a spreadsheet as, as good as any other system, if you use it. Um, and then from there, you can always graduate to something bigger and better. Do you, is that in the, let's say it's an Odoo process where they have to rank at the end what the project was like? Is that in within there or is there a separate mm-hmm. software that you use to have people rank? No, it? it's just a, it's really simple. It's just a, it's just a little drop down and they'll just rank it a one through, I think, uh, I actually don't think there's a cap. 
So they just say, you know, it's a one through whatever. And so if there's some crazy project that had 30 proof returns from a client because they wanted you to move something one pixel over. And then, you know, we also use that to do postmortems. And so if you want to look at a project and say, well, this thing was a dumpster fire and it was just bad all around. The client's not happy. You know, the designer is frustrated. The salesperson's not happy because the client's not happy. And so you kind of, you can come look at it and uh, do an autopsy and say, well, where did we go wrong? And, but if you don't track that kind of stuff, it's harder to flag it unless the designer or the director or leader in that department goes, Hey, this one was really bad. We should really talk about this. Um, And obviously whenever you work on tons and tons of projects, you're going to have ones that don't go well um, and it's okay. You just always want to do what you can to reduce that number in the future. So Andrew, what's the question on that? So there's a drop down one through or zero through whatever. What would you score this project? You know, and and so they get to score it. And so if it's, you know, in the software world, they, they use, uh, you know, story points, if you're familiar with Jira. And so they rank, you know, Hey, there's these six tickets I'm working on to, you know, build this piece of software. Uh, you know, they rank how hard they think they are. And so we just kind of took that same concept and put it over into our other departments. And so it's a little bit arbitrary because some people are going to, you know, we have guidelines. Hey, if it's a project that's like this, this is a one, you know, if it's a simple update, it's a one, if it's a update plus this, it's a two. And so we have guidelines, but, um, and so it's not a perfect system by any means because it's not, you know, it doesn't automatically update based on the project type. Um, but we want to let people, you know, choose what they think is the appropriate level for that task. And so, um, yeah, it kind of helps. It also helps balance out uh, when coming, going back to hiring based on output, you don't want to look at somebody who did a hundred, you know, items, but they all did really, really easy items. And then you're looking at somebody that did 30, but they did the really complex ones and they're actually doing way more, um, you know, work. And so once you add the score in there, well, you did 30 items, but your score average score was a four. Um, which actually multiplies to a higher output than somebody that did scores that are a one. Yeah. You get that qualitative, somewhat of a qualitative assessment. Um, yeah. I like that. Um, Andrew, so what about internal communication or internally what you use? So you mentioned the kind of CRMs, Zapiers, other something like internal, like a Slack or email or other or things that you recommend? Yeah, we're, we're heavy on Slack. Uh, we, um, that's a lot of our internal communication. Uh, we have a couple of, I'll shout out a couple of apps that I think are particularly beneficial on Slack. Uh, one is, uh, one called Hey Taco, uh, which does it's kudos. Basically everyone gets five tacos a day and you can give people tacos if they help you out, you know, as a kudos. And so it's a great way to, um, build community and, and get people that, you know, normally they wouldn't talk to each other because they're not on the same team, especially now that we're all remote, you know, Oh, you Hey, you did a great job on my project. So the salesperson is going to give a taco to somebody that, you know, help them make a, you know, impress a client. Um, and uh, the second one is uh, called Donut and it does uh, virtual meetings, kind of like a virtual coffee. So it'll randomly pair two people or more. You can choose um, in the settings uh, together. And so, again, it's about getting people uh, talking and connected that they normally wouldn't talk to each other. Apps that start with food or you're just hungry. Talk yeah, basically, no. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Andrew, I want to thank you. This has been awesome. Um, I want to point people towards um, other episodes of the of the podcast. Check out Sweet Process and and check out what you guys are doing at Conversion Logics. Um, it's really amazing. Um, you know, you said something. I w- I think in book titles. Um, I don't know how it relates, but um, I think uh, when you come out with your book, Andrew. Um, <laughs> fix required stuck out to me. Like 
I think a big gold nugget for me in this whole thing is, do you have something that indicates if there's issue tracking those issues so you can see maybe it's problems with projects or other things? So fix required. Do you have fix required checked in any of your systems out there if you're listening? I know we don't, so we should. Um, so Andrew, I want to be the first one to thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's my